This piece was brought to you by Roberta's. Roberta'spizza.com. This week on Meet and Three, we're exploring the culinary wonders of urban New Jersey with a tour through Newark. We speak to Frank Mentesana at Phillips Academy Public Charter School. This idea of family style and made from scratch lunches continues to be a bit of an anomaly in the city. We also hear from Gil Speyer from All Points West Distillery. Newark used to have an incredibly rich beverage alcohol history. And we'll tour Aero Farms, the world's largest indoor vertical farm. We're growing using 390 times more productivity than field farming and 95% less water. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network to be amazed at the wonders of Newark. That's meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to HRN Happy Hour. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson, the communications director here at HRN, joined by Hannah Forden, our program manager. Happy Thursday. <laughs> She's been ready for this time. It's been a week. <laughs> but guess what? There's wine. There is wine. And someone very special brought the wine. We'll get to that in a second. What a cliffhanger. We're also joined by Jordan Werner Berry. Hey, I just ate a mouthful of popcorn. Sorry. <laughs> we have some snacks today, too. We're, we're very fancy today. Um, our engineer is Amanda Wang. Hello, Amanda. Hello, hello. And uh, one of our lovely interns, Pauline, is walking in the studio with a couple extra wine glasses because she wants some wine, too. <laughs> Who brought the wine? Let me tell you. The one and only Henry Glucroft from Henry's Wine and Spirit and Sunrise Sunset, and Petra in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Welcome, Henry. Thanks, Kat. Thanks, team. <laughs> Lovely to be back here. We're so excited to have you back. Um, you're here for a very special occasion. Um, Henry's is turning six, or has turned six very recently, and um, we, we've had you on the show before talking about wine and, and things like that, but we haven't kind of heard the story of Henry, so we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, I think you've seen a very interesting six years in Bushwick. Transformative, you might yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy to think it's been six years. Yeah. Uh, so we'll get into that in a minute. But first, uh, we have a few announcements. Um, we've been mentioning it lately, but this weekend was the weekend. Katie is away at Taste Washington along with Sam Ben Ruby. Um, there are going to be more than 235 wineries, 65 restaurants, and some of the nation's most talented chefs. It's the ultimate taste test. So stay tuned to HRN on tour to listen to the coverage that Katie and Sam are going to be bringing to the network. And another fun event coming up here in New York is Brisket King of New York City, and it's returning for its eighth year uh, on April 10th at Biba in Williamsburg here in Brooklyn. There will be 20 chefs, there will be pit masters, there will be brisket, and there will be all-inclusive craft beer, hard cider, and spirits. It is organized by our very own beloved Jimmy Carboni. Um, you can check out tickets online. I'm assuming it's like brisketkingnyc.com. Google it. Google it. You'll find it. Eventbrite definitely has it. Eventbrite. Yeah. Um, lastly, we wanted to mention that the James Beard um, nominees were announced yesterday for restaurants, design, journalism, and broadcast. Congrats to all the amazing chefs, writers, designers, beverage pros, etc., who were nominated. But a very big congrats 
to our own Kathy Irway, who hosts Eat Your Ears, Eat Your Words. I combined two different podcasts there. Don't eat your ears. Just a <laughs> disclaimer. Eat Your Words. She was nominated for a journalism award in the home cooking category for her work in taste um, about the, the subtle what was it the subtle uh delights of chickens cold chicken salad i love that it was really really good you can read that piece um that earned the nomination for her at our instagram page we've linked to it so go check that out um we were listening to the nominees yesterday morning and i i would wager that we probably have had 90 percent of the people nominated on hrn so if you are excited about anyone in particular search for them on our website and listen to an interview. Yeah. And some people we've had on a many, lot. many times, for example, Stephen Satterfield, if you want to just hear <laughs> Stephen Satterfield talk about all the things you could possibly think of, it's probably happened on HRN. Absolutely. Yeah. He, uh, he always comes by to say hi to us when we see him. Um, all right. So next up we have a few headlines. So let's do that. This week on All in the Industry, Sherry Bear welcomed Danielle Balud. While he hails from outside of Lyon, France, it is in New York that Danielle has truly mastered the dining scene and is today considered one of America's leading culinary authorities. Tune in for their conversation about Danielle's wide-ranging career on All in the Industry. And on Eat Your Words this week, James Beard Award-nominated host Kathy Irway welcomes Carla Lolly Music, who is the food director of Bon Appetit, uh, and she recently published her first cookbook. It's called Where Cooking Begins, and I have to say it's absolutely lovely. I just took a copy home myself, and I can't wait to get into it. Um, in the interview, Carla describes how she came up with the theme of her book, food shopping, and how to make it work for your lifestyle, and how she turned that philosophy into a cookbook. And lastly, we have a little teaser for this week's Meet and 3. We're exploring the intersection between food, agriculture, and competition. Learn how a chicken raising contest in the 1940s led to the poultry industry we have today and why some gamers, as in video gamers, are getting very excited over John Deere tractors. Just trust me. It's a wild story. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be a really good episode. Very exciting. Uh, the new episode drops tomorrow, so make sure you're subscribed to Meet and 3 and you'll be the first to know when you can listen. Yay. All right. Um, so back to Henry. Henry, uh, let's start by just telling us a little bit about the wine that we're drinking. So this is a, a Greek natural wine um, made from a, a type of mu the muscat grape, actually, a darker with darker skins. Um, no added sulfur, native yeast fermentation, really uh, just spend some time on the skins and uh, nature does the rest. And it, it's a great uh, heavier rosé to drink. Uh, throughout the spring and even summer and eases you into the rosé season, especially on a beautiful day like today. Yeah, it's like not too light and florally for like what's still pretty cold New York spring. Yeah, yeah it's got some heft. And I have to say, I'm looking at the color, which is stunning, and it's almost the same color as the chili oil on the tables <laughs> at Roberto's. Oh, it is. <laughs> Let's not mix those two up. Yeah, I, would, I could be fooled. <laughs> um, so Henry, tell us, we were talking a little bit about at the Blanca dinner. We did this amazing charity dinner. Um, you were so generous to pour wine for. And we got into a little bit of a conversation about your background. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of your roots, both here in New York, but also in Paris? Yeah, sure. Let's um, go all the way back to the beginning. Well, first of all, that Blanca dinner was amazing. The food and chefs and just uh, the crowd that came um, made the night very special. Um, 
In terms of getting uh, to the wine shop, I guess, uh, I mean, I was born in New York, so uh, spent about half my life here, uh, well, at least until the end of the fourth grade, and then moved outside of Paris, uh, fifth grade through the end of high school, so kind of, but then would spend summers uh, in France while in the U.S., and in the U.S. while living in France, kind of always maintaining this dual uh, identity and lack of one identity, which made it kind of confusing uh, throughout life at times. But in the wine world, uh, ended up being pretty convenient when I didn't, I mean, just reading French became an asset, uh, understanding, you know, regions of France or many other things and in fact the most helpful thing just having access to wine at the dinner table at a very young age and where it was part of the culture it was part of a good meal um and uh, so that helped uh, get me into wine early on um i mean there's a lot that happened in between my birth and my uh opening the wine shop so i'm trying to filter we'll out. wait for your memoirs for all yeah. those details <laughs> But yeah, that's really interesting. Like I, I do feel like anyone who had the, you know, had the ability to spend a lot of time outside of the United States, like in Europe particularly, like got a head start um, on like educating yourself on what what to drink, what you like to drink. Um, so let's kind of fast forward then. When when was the moment that you decided that you wanted to open a wine shop or be in wine, be in the industry? Um, while, while officially and unofficially around the age of 21, I, I, got, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, got a job for a wine startup in New York, uh, while I was still in college, actually, uh, partly during the summer and spring and ended up doing everything from, you know, taping up wine boxes to ship or deliver to uh, actually trying to sell wine uh, door to door at stores and restaurants to just learning about wine. So that was pretty like just a professional experience in New York, though brief kind of helped me get my feet wet and see different parts of the industry early on. Um, then I had opened a cafe in Bushwick with a partner and wanted basically that gave me an understanding of what it was like to have a brick and mortar space and how uh, such a space affects the neighborhood around it and how to anticipate how things might develop around the business and just kind of seeing how retail works. Um, gave me a bit of motivation to, to think about a wine shop. Um, and it seemed like a business that, you know, kind of create a job you want to do and I was like I'm gonna get to drink all these amazing wines and I mean it's it becomes it's I mean it's not easy and it takes a lot of work to to get to it and sometimes it's a little tiring when you mix your pleasure and your business uh, there's there's cons to that but um, I guess almost 10 years ago I had the idea to do the shop and, uh, you know, started looking, doing the research as to what it would take. And uh, about seven years ago started the process and managed to open uh, just over six years ago. How did you decide not only on 
Bushwick as the neighborhood, but specifically kind of your Henry's is for people familiar with Bushwick, like you're kind of on, I would almost say like the East Williamsburg side, kind of like we are right now with the studio. So you're, you're not necessarily like deep middle of Bushwick. You're on the kind of this border. So, uh, you know, everybody's heard location, 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 (laughs) and the wine shop doesn't really have those that 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 strong of a location 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 <laughs> but the truth is that um, any liquor regulated business in New York City has to factor in so many nuances to what makes the location good and when you're not an expert in opening wine shops then you might choose to play it a little safer mm-hmm. And partly for those reasons and the, the inventory, the real estate inventory of commercial spaces at the time. But really, I was trying to position myself close to the JM Myrtle Broadway JMZ and the L and in this general kind of area. So what? Um, so then you, you also, w- I live here. So I, yeah. really, I really just like short commutes. I agree with that. Um, What's kind of the different things you do have to consider, though, when you open a wine shop versus um, a cafe or a restaurant? Because you did go on to then open up an all-day cafe and then a a wine bar restaurant sort of concept. All sort of different things. You know, there's definitely some black and white stuff, like how how far you are from a school, church, um, Mm. other existing businesses, licenses. Um, (laughs) But then it's funny because Petra... Uh, which was kind of took over a bar space that had been operating for a really long time and had definitely had full liquor. All of a sudden, because of lapse in licensing, uh, found itself where I had to renew the license. But there happened to be a church at like 180 feet. I basically needed to be like 20 feet away and then we started to look at whether we were bird's eye, whether the measurement was going to be bird's eye yeah. or like not bird's eye. And then whether we could actually move the door just to, to, to the entrance 20 feet away so that like full liquor and, you know, so that 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 also might be part of what yeah. happens when you're trying to get a license. Um, um, so. Within the past six years, like, what kind of have you seen shift in the neighborhood? What's been most noticeable? There's a little bit less DIY. I'd say when I first came to um, to Bushwick, there were, first of all, so few places. Um, so few places. Uh, Roberta's was one of them. There was also a place called Goodbye Blue Monday. Basically, each place really had a very, uh, you know, unpolished uh, DIY aesthetic. And over now, more recently, you know, it takes more money to start any business in the neighborhood. The neighborhood's really a little bit more polished where there's, uh, you know, the demographics have changed. It's been more gentrified, but, you know, with all the pros and cons that come of it. Fortunately, I do feel that the diverse communities that have been in Bushwick for a while are still super present and very much a part of 
you know, as important a part of the community as ever. And I know that new, new residents flock to, you know, the local taqueria that's been there because it's the best meal under 10 bucks in the neighborhood. Um, and, um, which one is your favorite? Um, are you talking about Los Hermanos or I will Sofia? say I, what I tell everybody who goes to Los Hermanos and I feel really strongly about this, oh. uh, picadas are the way to go there so it's and that's the thing that i really discovered in this neighborhood it's a thick like corn salty pancake and they just put everything on top and i think it's the best thing you can order mm. hot tip <laughs> yeah. um what what other spots um do you like to check out eat at drink at in bushwick if you can't go eat and drink at your own. Of course. Obviously. Um, there are a lot of people that go out a lot more than I do. Um, I'll go to, you know, when I when, when my wife and I want a nice meal um, in the neighborhood, we, every now and then, we tend to, we go to Faro. You know, we'll like to go there because it's really nice and, you know, it's a fancy experience for the neighborhood. Um, that and, and you know we'll like to go to ops but you know every now and again we're like ah oh, you eat a lot of pizza so it's tough to that's my problem to, that's the problem <laughs> is that like pizza. you know i probably ate you know so many quick slices during the week that um i i don't find myself going out for dinner for pizza all yeah. that often as much but um, it's just so good it is really good what else am i doing sorry robertus yeah cat yeah. and i are basically like 75 pizza oh. <laughs> i like carmentas too i'll go there for subs i'm all about the quick meal during the day in bushwick you're a busy guy anything so uh oh yeah and fazio's is a good slice too and uh, over uh by in the petra direction um have you ever been to a Lake Garage? Yeah, yeah, another spot. You know, it's if like I were to so go good. out more often, yeah. and Rachel, who, who runs the place, who owns the place, is really nice too. That's like, you know, it's proper French food. Mm -hmm. It's delicious. It's, you know, and a it's French like her grandmother's chocolate yeah. cake. Yeah, is amazing. Oh, chocolate cake. <laughs> uh, I think it's like flourless. It's, yeah. it's oh, incredible. Say no more. Um, yeah. So, do you? I have a question. I mean, you've been in the neighborhood longer than me. Do you ever, I feel like there's kind of a threshold of like, there's very nice, delicious restaurants like Faro and Le Garage, but there's not, I wouldn't say there's anything like super fine dining in Bushwick. Do you ever see there being a point where like that does reach Bushwick? Well, Blanca, it, you know. Fair. Um, the secret fine dining of Bushwick, yeah. really. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. True. Uh... I guess eventually. Yeah, I wonder what but, it would look like, you know? I think to be successful, it would probably still have to be a little weird because that's why people like this neighborhood, right? Yeah. I mean, I would hope so. I would hope that it wouldn't just be, you know, out of the 1950s fine dining. It would be something <laughs> more evolved, innovative yeah. and, but who knows? Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe we're, uh, a ways away. Yeah. Um, I can't picture it. Yeah, I can't picture pic it in I'm my mind. I can't picture it too. Yeah. It'd probably be French though. <laughs> <laughs> Hope so. Um, well, let's take a really quick break for a moment. Um, when we come back, I want to let's talk a little bit about the Blanca dinner that you were mentioning. Um, are 
winter in the garden uh natural wine corner we have to recap we have to have be a little nostalgic and then um we want to talk paris recommendations because i've definitely asked you for paris recommendations in the past but never feel like i write them down or remember them so i want to get it on tape sounds good so we'll be right back My name is Brandon Boyd, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Welcome back to HR and Happy Hour. We're here with Henry Glucroft and Jordan Warner-Berry. I want to turn to Jordan for one moment and talk about the state of cider. Ah, we just had such a fun show, Beer Sessions Radio, this week. Uh, Jimmy brought in a whole crew of New York cider folk. Um, we talked about things like what's going on with branding for New York cider and the dryness scale, which is always a hot topic. Jimmy really wanted there to be cider controversy, and we kept telling him that there's no controversy in cider. It's just like, just drink it. That's the controversy. <laughs> this controversy is getting people to want to drink more cider. Yeah. Dude, exactly. Just do it. Just, just do it. Just drink it. Um, you, you were recently at a cider convention? Yeah, CiderCon. The U.S. Association of Cider Makers puts together this incredible convention once a year. We went to Chicago in early February. Not the week that it was colder than in our, and then Antarctica, but the week <laughs> after, which is still really effing cold. Um, but it was a great time. Like thousands of people, no, a thousand people probably. All the producers around the country, people in trade. There's a crazy trade show. Um, shout out to Ancho for letting me shotgun a cider on the trade show floor at 11.30 in the morning. That's my girl. Really got me through the day. <laughs> That's the right kind of convention to go to. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I had a great experience. Uh, Dan Pucci and I moderated a still cider panel with Steve Wood from Farnham Hill, Nancy Bishop from Alpenfire, my girl Krista Scruggs from Zaffa Wines, and um, Leif Sundstrom from Sundstrom Cider. Mm. And it was just really cool to kind of dig into... We're at the point in cider where, yes, there are the things that we always talk about and the problems of getting people to understand what it is. But to be at the point where we can have a panel of producers who all have still ciders and some of them more than one and not be just talking about like the fact that there is a still cider, but how to make one that's really exceptional mm -hmm. was very cool. That's very interesting. Yeah. And then there was also a natural natural cider there panel? There was a natural cider panel. It was it was a very cool because cider's picking up a lot on what's going on in natural wine and because so many ciders are in 750 milliliter bottles, it's kind of a natural alignment. Mm -hmm. And no pun intended. Exactly. And as Krista said, it's just like fucking fermented fruit. So <laughs> like <laughs> to think about these things in cider as like in the gross term, like a marketing thing, but also just because it's really the same process uh, was a very cool conversation to see. Cool. And then the last thing I did, I was on um, a lexicon panel with my research from grad school, my cider language research. 
And that was with Michelle McGrath, who's the executive director of USACM, and Jen Smith, the executive director of New York Cider Association. And that was the last panel of the last session on the last day. And it was a long one, which usually they're tasting panels, and none of us brought cider. And we were like, oh, no, they're like, this is going to be a wrong move. Like, we should have at least gotten them drunk to sit around and have people talking about language for an hour and a half. And we're like, we'll cut it early. It'll be fine. But it got kind of heated, and it was really fun. You are the cider controversy. <laughs> we are the cider controversy. Yeah. You have we, the most heated Instagram comments. Yes, it's true. And you told me, never cut them off. No, for the algorithm. let them go. <laughs> Um, but it was just fun to see people engaging, like producers and writers and industry folk, engaging around how, like, the words we use to talk about cider and the power that they have um, was great. Yeah. Got a lot of good feedback. Hoping to keep going with the project. Uh, what's your handle so that people can follow? At Cider Language. Cider Language. And you're all lucky. I posted for the first time today in, like, three months. Nice. So. Go on, yeah. go on her account and argue about the meaning of words. <laughs> Today's hot hot take was foraged was the word. So oh. a lot of people in cider get really mad about wild and like implications of whether or not trees are actually wild if they're abandoned. Because it's like it could be oh. a, like functioning as a wild tree but was planted by a human like right. 100 years ago versus like an actual seedling. So huh. I'm like, hoping that there's some arguing. Yeah, and like where would that line be crossed? Because if something was... Yeah planted in colonial times yeah. and then has just been left to its own devices. Right. Like how long do we have to leave it before? It- yeah. Well, I think the deer has to eat the apple and then walk away and then poop it out <laughs> and then it has to grow. And then well, it's going to happen tree. regardless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was the rules. Yeah. Um, Henry, you do carry some ciders I do. at Henry's. Uh, what do you like look for when you're trying to decide what ciders to carry and, and what do people want when they're shopping? Well, what they want and what I carry, hopefully, <laughs> hope I try and keep it aligned enough. You're trying to move uh, them in a direction? I definitely, you know, the ciders, I try and have things that are kind of like natural wine, you know, biodynamic, organic farming, nothing added, just cider and a very like natural, unfiltered taste. Um, don't do a lot of cider. Space is small, and it's true, the market is not what wine is. But I do have to say that what I'm seeing now in the bit, in the natural wine world is a little bit more crossover. Like uh, people that are making ciders that actually have grapes or people making wines with other fruit, you know, incorporating other fruit. Like I have a Burgundy producer who used apricot skins as part of the fermentation. Cool. Interesting. Um, so the fact that and uh, so the fact that winemakers are doing that and expo, and, you know, then people who are buying these natural wines are kind of like flirting more with fruit ciders. Um, helps. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so in reverse order, let's go back to the Blanca dinner. We like talked about it, but for more context, we did this incredible, um, auctioned off dinner at our winter gala. And we had six chefs, I believe, come and cook this dinner for 12 people, which was crazy. Cause these are some of the most talented chefs in the city. I think four of the six boast Michelin stars. Yes. Um, we called like the six Michelin star yeah. dinner or something. Cause and then we it, added them together. Exactly. Exactly. And if you're feeling left out, I have a feeling we're going to top ourselves this year. Yeah. For the gala. So you didn't miss 
too much. Um, so keep an eye out for when we send you a save the day. Yes. Because this was like really, really, really an incredible experience, especially... I mean, to have, like, custom wine pairings from someone like Henry at a dinner like that, so you literally don't have to think at all, and everything is going to be delicious and complimentary and magical. That's what I wanted to ask you about. So you didn't, you weren't, like, send me the menu and I'm going to make pairings. You you went in being like, I'm going to pour people what they want to drink. I mean, I saw the menu yes. before. So but you I didn't... knew what I was, you know, I knew, okay, bring a little bit of wine that kind of meets this, and, you know, I asked... I. More important, I would say, almost sometimes than the food is who the crowd mm-hmm. is. Um, so just knowing to uh, keep, keep the crowd happy is uh, more important. <laughs> it's like an sometimes. art form. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I saw the menu. It was like too, too many courses to just have one wine for each. So there had to be a little bit of wiggle room in what wine would go with which uh, course, because there's just no way, even as much as some of these, uh, you know, slightly older attendees, you know, they managed to drink through quite a few of the glasses, and I was uh, pleasantly surprised, and they were uh, very, very happy in the end. I was, and it was also a very snowy evening. Yeah, and I was a little nervous. I was like, I hope that they like don't chicken out on coming like into Brooklyn for this. But they like, you know, they got their Ubers and they came to dinner and they had like the best time ever. And also, um, we got to hang out with um, our Ariel Arce of um, Air Champagne Parlor and the new Niche Niche. She came and did a champagne toast and brought along a, the winemaker. So that was really fun too. So there was like a little like wine corner happening and the chefs had took over the kitchen. It, it felt like a really awesome dinner party. Yeah, I think it was. Almost as fun for the the, the chefs and uh, you know myself and servers and everybody helping as it was for the people eating, sitting down with their friends and family. It was very um, fun. It was very industry. Yeah. Um, and just to say that it was Katie and me and Katie's mom and Will, my boyfriend, that were the servers, quote unquote <laughs> servers. Um, and we were definitely, Henry and us were all in the back like dish area eating the leftover food, getting to try everything. Because it was just like the pickled shrimp that Alex Raj sent was unbelievable. Shout out to Alex and Edder for also being a James, James Beard, Beard nominated for... Restaurant. We're just name dropping. Name. Everywhere. Name dropping. And a special shout out to our dear, dear Eli Sussman for organizing this entire thing and getting all these rock star chefs together. Apparently, if you want to get in touch with a very famous chef, you should talk to Eli. (laughs) Um. Also, if you want to know how to have a really great Instagram presence, you should follow Eli. And I learned the secret to his great Instagram presence is that he follows, like, influencers (laughs) And then just parodies their like language and account, and it's, makes it about shawarma. It's the yeah. most amazing, amazing <laughs> thing to follow. Highly recommend. Um, okay, so the reason that we had the Blanca dinner was because we did a winter gala, and it was our second annual one, made ten times better than the first one. We're always we're always you know raising the bar. I'm so but excited for this. This guy. year we had Henry, and That's Henry did a natural wine corner. So, Henry, can you kind of explain, like, what you did at the gala and how... And Jordan was there to help you pour all these wines. Mostly because I wanted to drink all of them. Thank you, Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) And it was the place to be at the gala. Like, we had 12 stations People wouldn't leave. Rock star chefs. We had 
you know, Dave Arnold was at a bar. Everyone was having a great time. But at the end of the night, we were like literally dragging people <laughs> away from the natural wine bar. Being like, we have to leave. The with, party is over. With bottles of old world wineries sparkling red in hand. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I was just like passing them out at the end of the night. <laughs> Yeah, that was a fun corner. And <laughs> yeah, we got kicked out at that. We they much, were like, leave. Leave. Five minutes till the alarms go on. Again. <laughs> leave or Wine Santa gets it. <laughs> wine Santa had already gotten it. Yeah, he did. Oh, yeah, but... Wine Santa. He's, Remember ba- him? he's banned from next year, I'm guessing. Yeah, or, Wine Santa yeah. will not be yeah. invited back. Nastasia, if you're listening, you can't bring Wine Santa. Um, wine Santa... That was kind of one of his first appearances on the on the circuit. And I kept seeing him at other parties, too. I had a friend who was like, I'm going to have Wine Santa at my Christmas Eve party. And I was like, I don't think you want to do that. <laughs> uh, we've had we've had a bad run in with Wine Santa. And he did it anyway in his small like one bedroom apartment and put Long Island iced teas in him, which you can imagine in like a crowded one bedroom apartment just kind of became missed. And I think everyone just got drunk from the Long Island iced tea coming out of Santa's mouth into the oh being, being like aerated into the vapors. Yeah, I've got the vapors. So Henry, you're invited back next year. Why is Santa's maybe not invited back next year? We can always dress you up. <laughs> Henry is. I've never been Santa. Santa. You. you uh, I don't think I will. <laughs> That's too American for it's you. It's too much. It's too much. It's too much. That would be fun, though. Someone's got to be Santa. If you get some deer, maybe I could be interested. (laughs) Deal. Taxidermy? Uh, Or real? Real. Rudolph. (laughs) Reindeer? A dog dressed as a deer? Yeah, that that works, too. We'll put some antlers on Daisy. Yeah, we can do that. Perfect. She loves to wear clothes. Um, Okay, so Paris recommendations. Let's do it. Let's get this on the record. Okay. For, uh, first of all, I should say I'm not always the best with recommendations. It's kind of like what's on my mind at the time. Sure. So let's, uh, but let's see, a couple restaurants, um, since those are always great in Paris, you can drink and eat like a king for a lot less than in New York. Um, I like this, went to this place, Ventre, V-A-N-T-R-E. Um, it's going to be kind of like, it's small, it's classical. The wine list is amongst the best in Paris. Um, went to this wine bar run by these Americans on the last trip, Chambre Noire. They have a great list. They, they definitely bring the Paris, New York party vibe. So uh, that's a great place to get some bottles after dinner. Um, where else? We went to... Something vend mes amis. Had some nice bottles there. Food was okay. Um, kind of has a weird like New York bright diner meets bistro vibe almost. Um, then I've got a few wine shops I really like out there because I, I love shopping for wine. Um, there's one called Carte de Vin, Carte de Vin, uh, on. Uh, can't remember the address. Not far from the 11th. A lot of the restaurants, too, are in the 11th, like Septime, Clamato, Yard. Um, you know, basically the 11th. Yeah, 
I'm saving all these on my yeah, phone clown, so I could tell cl- you the address. Clown Bar, Septim, uh, Yard. Um, there was a new one that opened that I never went to called like Dragon. It was like something Dragon Ball. I, I don't know why I'm thinking <laughs> Dragon Ball Z. Or, <laughs> it might have something that's like my uh, way of remembering the place I'm oh. thinking of, but it might not have anything to do with Dragon Ball Z. But <laughs> Maybe it does though. Yeah, I think never it know. does, but I don't remember why I think that. One day um, we'll just stumble into it and be like, oh. Oh, there's and then there's anime in here. That makes sense. In terms of little uh, spots, I mean, there's also places like uh, Marie Celeste. This uh, friend, uh, you know, Josh Fontaine. He's good. I've met him through uh, Zev and other. Um, I've become a little friendly with him, but he has a few great spots in Paris too. I've only been to his Marie Celeste and actually one of his taco. Uh, he has a mescaleria, I think too, Ooh. but opened a restaurant in the Pelled Tokyo, which is a really cool museum. Um, so I've been meaning to check that place out too. Um, Henry, what do you think of the wine shop? I, I'm not gonna butcher it because I don't speak French. Le Etiquette on Il Saint Louis, do you know them? It's like a crazy little natural wine shop. And the, it's like a curmudgeonly old guy. We went in and I was with a whole crew and we just wanted bottles to like go down and drink on the, on the river. And the first thing he asked us is, are you paying with money or magic? Meaning like credit cards. <laughs> and he like wanted us to pay cash. And then we could rent cups from him for two euro, but we had to bring them back. And he <laughs> made us guess how many plastic cups were in the ocean before he would give them to us hilarious but like huh. very cool selection of like pretty funky natural wines on the on the island yeah if you haven't been i you would really yeah. love it yeah i don't know if he I've was a hoot that. and a half sounds familiar but i don't have a <laughs> <that does> sound <laughs> like it. sounds like a, a dying breed in the sense that you know you, the merchants like that don't are, are few and far between unfortunately you had a you had a cider shop. A oh cider. yeah, it's actually like a restaurant. It's called Brutus. I think it's in the seventeenth. Oh. Um, cider and Crip. They're from Brittany, um, and we went maybe like five days after they opened, and I had an incredible time because that, it was like a twenty-page cider list. It was very cool. Have you been, Henry? No, but it's on, it's on one of my lists. Yeah, definitely go. It was a blast. Cool. cool. Um, last question, and then we're gonna play some trivia. Um, if someone's been to Paris before and wants to like branch out and travel somewhere else in France, what would your recommendation be for like next stop on the list? Um, Brittany. Why? It's like peaceful, beautiful, good food. Um, wine not too far away. Ocean. Nice. Yeah. All right, correct. You got your first trivia question right. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to play a little bit of trivia, and the theme is based on Henry turning six. Okay. So the trivia is about the number six. Okay. And everyone is here to help you. Okay. You're not on I'll, your own. I will probably need the audience's <laughs> help. <laughs> All right, question number one. Six-sided shapes, or hexagons, are found throughout nature, like in honeycombs and bubbles, but they can also be found on very large scales. Which, which planet boasts a hexagonal cloud pattern around its North Pole? Bubbles? 
Yeah, bubbles, when they touch each other, they actually become like a hexagonal pattern. Uh, Just name a planet. Saturn. Correct. (laughs) All right, question number two. Let's now move to a cube, a 3D shape with six sides. Can you name the six colors on a Rubik's cube? Yellow, blue, green, red. (laughs) Four for six. Uh, White. Five for six. Black? Nope. Orange? Correct. Nice. Thank you. Question number three. What parlor game is based on the idea that any actor can be connected to the star of Footloose with only a few steps? Is that that weird game on the... Wait, wait. What? I think I need to hear that again. <laughs> it's a parlor game based on the idea that any actor can be connected to the star of Footloose with only a few steps. It's also the name of a, of a play that was turned into a movie starring Will Smith in the 80s. Really? <laughs> I didn't know that. Play Someone say it. Six Degrees of Separation. Oh. Okay. No, but six degrees no. of Kevin Bacon. There it is. Ah! Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is based on the six degrees of separation concept. Yes. All right. Question number four: What rock band comprised of six members started in Jacksonville, Florida, in 1969, and was known for their live shows featuring jam band style improvisation and instrumentals? Fish. No. They're from Yes. <laughs> I just. Does I mean, it sounded... Uh, yeah. I'll give you a hint. One of their most famous albums is called Eat a Peach. Nobody? This is the part where I grew up in France. <laughs> in the 60s? We, culture's still catching up. <laughs> and does anything good come out of Jacksonville, Florida? This might be the only thing. Okay. Um, in the 60s? Yeah, 69. Um, How do Grateful you- Dead? No, um, you're very close. I just heard yeah. instrumentals and jam band, yeah. and I can't stop. Yeah. They, were, they were kind of a precursor to Leonard Skinner. No, no, no. I'm gonna. All right. The answer is the Almond Brothers Band. Oh. Yeah, yeah. All right. Last question. My favorite question. Which famous American author is well known for having many six-toed or polydactyl cats as pets? Michelle Pfeiffer? <laughs> no. Um, you can still go visit his house in Key West. Hemingway. Oh, yeah. There it is. Okay. I found a fun fact about this. He was given his first polydactyl kitten as a gift from a sea captain named Stanley Dexter. Sailors have long favored polydactyl cats, believing that they're good luck because their extra toes enhance their ability as mousers and provide better balance on rough seas. Yeah, it makes sense. Wow. It checks out. <laughs> I'm, I'm really grateful for that. That's a good one. I'm going to, my grandpa's a big uh, Hemingway, and it's his birthday today. So, oh, you know, you'd be like, you know, happy birthday. Yeah. You should give him a polydactyl cat. <laughs> I may. G- make I don't great know gifts. if that's a gift or, you know. <laughs> or a job. Or a <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a full-time job. Um, all right. Well, that is our show. You, Henry won trivia. And um, 
Do you want to give a shout out for the anniversary celebrations? Oh yeah, anybody in Bushwick who wants to drink a lot of amazing natural wine should come to Petra, uh, also in Bushwick at 523 Evergreen on Saturday night. Party, party, party. Party, party. I won't be here, so someone go in my place, please. I'm sad to miss it. Um, all right, well, thank you to Amanda, our engineer, Pauline. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Jordan, thank for you, joining Catherine. us. Thank you, Catherine. I'm Kat. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.